Welcome back to Weekly Call with Jose Dejaro from the New York Stock Exchange and the stock market took a breather after three weeks of solid gains. The S&P 500 surrendered around 1% for the week while the Nasdaq Composite continued its recent underperformance falling 2.7%. Uh, that said, it's worth noting that uh, the blue chip Dow Jones Industrial Average eked out a slim gain of around one tenth of a percent, logging its fourth consecutive weekly advance. The outperformance of the Dow has a common theme since the election as market participants piled into stocks of companies that are expected to benefit from increased infrastructure spending. A portion of the gains in growth-sensitive areas has come at the expense of technology stocks. Uh, leading to, to relative weakness in the Nasdaq. In addition, there uh, has been some speculation that the immigration policy of the next administration could make things a bit more difficult for tech employees uh, to obtain work visas here in the U.S. Uh, the trading week has uh, highlighted also by uh, uh, the OPEC securing an official agreement to lower uh, production to 32.5 million barrels per day after months of speculation about the likelihood of an agreement being struck. Uh, crude oil responded by rolling into the area of its 2016 high of uh, around $51.93 a barrel. With oil returning to its best level of the year, the energy component is now in position to contribute to an uptick in inflation expectations. Those expectations have already been seen uh, in a notable uptick since the election as uh, participants uh, piled into uh, stocks that should benefit from infrastructure spending, as we said before. So, uh, also, the 10-year uh, note registered its fourth consecutive weekly loss, driving its yield up to 2.39% after making marking a 17-month high at 2.49%. On Friday, investors received the November Employment Situation Report, uh, where uh, the U.S. economy created around 178,000 jobs. Uh, but uh, the release uh, did little to change uh, rate hike expectations, even though average hourly earnings declined around one-tenth of a percent. Uh, the Fed Fund's uh, futures market remains all but convinced uh, that a rate hike will be announced on December 14. Uh, jobs, manufacturing and are topics in mind of investors uh, with uh, the upcoming Trump's administration already taking form. Uh, we, we know already that uh, billionaire Wilbur Ross uh, will be in charge of the Department of Commerce and we talked to Chad Baum, a uh, fellow at uh, the Peterson Institute in Washington about uh, the current state of U.S. manufacturing and, and what can we expect from now on. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. He, I'm not sure that much has changed in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the reason why, uh, especially Donald Trump, has um, gone to such a protectionist position on trade policy. What has certainly been true um, over the last 20 years, uh, mm-hmm. and especially over the last 15 years, is the process of globalization combined with uh, technological progress and automation, which has led to you know, a lot of robots and computers used in manufacturing, um, the financial crisis, mm-hmm. which led to a bust of uh, you know, the, the housing sector and construction, mm-hmm. led to a lot of unemployment. 
And a lot of this unemployment was concentrated in uh, blue-collar men. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those men have not been able to transition to you know, new jobs in the new economy in the United States, the areas of the economy that are growing, the sectors of the economy that are growing, the, the geography, the regions of the countries that are growing. Mm -hmm. And even though the unemployment rate has fallen, um, mm -hmm. they have moved, a lot of them have moved outside of the labor force. And so, uh -huh. you know, they're not counted in the unemployment rate because they have stopped looking for work. Um, so that is a phenomenon that's taken place over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and Mr. Trump blames that phenomenon on international trade. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is an easy scapegoat, an easy culprit, uh, because, it, you know, foreigners don't get to vote. Uh, yep. So it is easy to blame them. But economists have said, yes, a, a portion of this is due to international trade, but a much bigger portion is due to these other factors, technological progress and automation. The fact that you know, to produce the same amount of especially manufacturing goods in the United States, we now need many, many fewer workers, and the types of workers that we need are much more skilled uh, than the blue-collar assembly line workers of 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and so while they're, you know, while manufacturing output has continued in the United States, manufa manufacturing jobs and, and low-skilled jobs especially have not come back. Mm -hmm. And that is a segment of the labor force that Mr. Trump especially has been able to tap into, a group of, of particularly uh, disgruntled, um, um, you know, workers or, or, or <laughs> former workers, and he's appealed to them by blaming their economic problems on foreigners, on China, on Mexico, and on international trade. And and you mentioned uh, manufacturing. Uh, the United States uh, has lost approximately five million manufacturing jobs since since 2000. And is there a, a real possibility to bring those jobs back without endangering or, or hurting somehow uh, global trade relations and globalization, per se? So I think the answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not possible to bring those, those jobs back. Um, that being said, you know, manufacturing output in the United States has been growing for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. It is only that the jobs associated with that manufacturing output have not grown, um, you know, and that is because the types of goods that the United States is ma manufacturing nowadays mm -hmm. uh, require many, many fewer workers than in the past. So the numbers of jobs aren't there, for one. But the second point is even the jobs in the manufacturing sector in the United States, those, do, those that do come back, they're a different type of job than the manufacturing jobs of 20 years ago. These are not simply assembly line jobs anymore. They're high-skilled <laughs> jobs that require, uh, you know, workers have the ability to master, you know, technology and computers and how to use robots. Um, and that's a different skill set than the people that were laid off from manufacturing jobs, you know, that lost the 5 million jobs, uh, actually had. And it's been difficult to transition those workers that have lost their jobs, and not just mm -hmm. because of trade, but because of technology. 
into new gainful employment in the United States. Uh, and that's the, you know, the troubling feature of the U.S. labor market at the moment. So how we can close that, that gap? Well, it's, to fix the problem requires a number of different solutions, policy solutions. Uh, more education, more training, uh, moving uh, education uh, for non-college people that aren't interested in going to college necessarily to a more apprentice-type system where they will get on-the-job training that might be subsidized or incentivized by the government to give them you know, the advanced manufacturing skills to be able to use these new computers and, and robots in, in manufacturing. So that's, that's one aspect, right? It's probably, that may be useful to train the next generation of manufacturing workers to make the 20s and 30-year-olds Uh, more resilient, more adaptable to change. Um, but it's not clear that that is in and of itself also going to be able to improve the difficulties faced by, you know, somebody who is in their late 40s or, you know, 90 or 50s uh, and, and unable to change into a new manufacturing job. The difficulty, the other difficulties with the U.S. policy system is are the incentives uh, under the social safety net. So the main incentives in the United States are unemployment insurance mm -hmm. and disability insurance. And those programs are safety net. You know, they, they provide uh, replacement income in the event of job loss, but they don't create the incentives for people that have lost their jobs to try to get back into the labor force. Mm -hmm. So they don't create an incentive for a worker who, you know, maybe has decided for himself or herself that they are too old to do retraining in <laughs> manufacturing. And, you know, the next best job for them is a service sector job that is, you know, not a relatively high-skilled job. <laughs> the problem is with those jobs, they typically pay less than, uh -huh. you know, the job they just left in manufacturing. And so, and the, the pay you know, the reduction in pay may be so much that it's not worth it to them to come off of either unemployment insurance or disability insurance if they transition mm -hmm. onto that. So new systems of labor market adjustment are needed to incentivize those workers to stay in the labor force. Things that have been proposed are something called wage insurance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a government policy that would, uh, the federal government would pay some of the difference between what a worker was earning at their old job mm -hmm. that they just lost and what, what they would be earning in their new job, which would presumably pay less. You know, they mm -hmm. wouldn't, the, the government wouldn't pay 100% of the difference, but it may pay 50% of the difference or, or oh. something to encourage these workers to stay in the labor force uh, and, and keep them gainfully and, and, productive and productively employed. And then uh, most of uh, Trump, he also talks about reviewing uh, free trade agreements already in place like the NAFTA. It, it, it is yep. possible to undo those free trade agreements? Uh, yes, but uh, what would happen is exactly what you said, is that uh, you know, the United States would not be able to uh, unilaterally pull out of its trade agreements and expect all of its trading partners to continue to treat U.S. exporters and the workers of at companies that sell their goods into foreign markets exactly the same. These countries would retaliate. <laughs> and that, that would end up hurting 
you know, very important segments of the U.S. economy. So, you know, many of the, the people um, that may be supporting Mr. Trump, if he actually does do what he has proposed on trade policy, they could find their sales, their exports to foreign markets being cut off because of retaliation, uh, their workers being thrown out of jobs, um, and it having the same negative impact on lots of other, you know, U.S. communities and, and workers um, that he is professing to try to to try to help. <laughs> um, so, you know, th- how it is that this retaliation would come about, we don't know. We have economic <laughs> models that, that, that try to uh, come up with possibilities. Um, but primarily where we would look and think to look is, you know, where, for example, China or Mexico, um, you know, imports products from the United States um, um, that they could easily shift to, you know, other sources of imports for. So, for example, you know, soybeans in the United States. The United States exports a ton of soybeans to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the farmers in the United States that produce and grow soybeans are heavily reliant on the Chinese market. But there are other worldwide sources for, for soybeans. And if China decided to stop importing soybeans from the United States as retaliation, they would, you know, switch to alternative markets. Um, and so that's it. I mean, it, it, you know, any, any companies uh, and workers whose jobs are tied to exports that go yeah. to countries like China and Mexico president could do would be to encourage the enforcement of existing trade rules under existing uh-huh. trade agreements. Make sure that China keeps living up, up to its agreement, that we can actually import uh, some of these key products from China that we need uh, to be able to be competitive in manufacturing. It is a quiet week ahead in the U.S. with Monday's uh, trade balance and non-manufacturing PMI and uh, Friday's University of Michigan Consumer Confidence headlining uh, a Tier 2 economic data calendar. Uh, This week, uh, central banks uh, meet in both uh, Canada and Australia. In Canada, the Bank of Canada is waiting uh, an interest uh, rate cut by 25 basis points to 0.25% as the economy continues uh, to be dragged down by uh, failing uh, mining, uh, mining sector. And it's a previous meeting, Governor Stephen Polo said that they had actively discussed reducing rates. Uh, in the case of Australia, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia is expected to leave its policy rate and change at 1.5% which uh, is a record low. Uh, so, uh, few few uh, economic references here in the U.S. and worldwide uh, this uh, week. Uh, of course, and as always, we will keep you posted on how markets react to this uh, data and the, and the political situation, not only here in the U.S., where we are still uh, waiting for, for all the, the Trump administration to, to take a form, but also what's uh, happening in Europe, especially after uh, today's Sunday's uh, um, uh, referendum on on, con- on the Constitution. Uh, and as always, it was a pleasure talking to you and thank you very much uh, for listening to us. And remember that you can listen this uh, pod- you can listen to this podcast uh, not only on SoundCloud, but you can also download it on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for listening to us and have an amazing week. <laughs>